Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 748 with Karen Martin. Karen is back talking about clarity. If you've had some ambiguity in your professional world, like what did you want and what are we trying to achieve? And I'm confused and ah, Karen is a breath of fresh air talking about clarity, how to provide it, how to request it and get it. So you'll learn one, how to speak your mind without coming off as harsh. Two, the one question to ask when someone's being unclear. And three, fuzzy words you should stop using immediately. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP748 and check out some of the goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com like the full text searchable transcripts, all the episodes tagged by the topic and competency covered and a lot of other goodies over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Karen's story. Karen Martin is the president of the global consulting firm TKMG Inc. and a leading authority on business performance and lean management. She's known for her keen diagnostic skills and rapid results approach. Karen and her team have worked with clients such as AT&T, Chevron, the IMF, Mayo Clinic, and many more to develop more efficient work systems, grow market share, solve business problems, and accelerate performance. Big thanks to Karen for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Karen. Karen, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. It's great to be back, Pete. Thank you. Well, you <laughs> you just said something funny before we pushed record, which was, you know, it's been a little over three years uh, since you were on the, the show, and you commented that it feels like a lot more than three years. What would you say? In COVID times, that's a decade. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, it's so weird how warped time is, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. It's just weird. It's wild. And and last time we talked about clarity. And if, if listeners haven't checked out that episode, I, you know, I recommend it. It's it's a good one, number three eighty two. So I, I'd love to hit a little bit of of some of those bits on clarity, and specifically the questions and questions about questions. And and maybe for starters, can you tell us in this three years or decade, depending on your perspective? Have you discovered anything new about clarity or refined any of your thinking in a way that's super handy? Oh my goodness. Well, let's let's stick on the COVID theme for just a moment. So talk about a lesson in the lack of clarity. Oh my gosh. 
I mean, it has been three years of the most incredible ambiguity I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, you know, it's everything from the debate about science and non-science. And I think the, the most incredible one to me is how unclear the media and the and the agencies have been on when do you turn positive for a rapid antigen test? When do you turn positive for PCR? What does turning negative mean? And what, like, it, it's just, there's just no yeah. clear answer. And there is a clear answer. I'm, I'm a microbiologist from way back when. And there's a very clear answer on when you turn positive and negative on these tests. But they're just not communicating it well at all. Mm-hmm. So I think if you pay really close attention to any information you receive, you can feel when it's clear now, maybe clear and false, but you can at least feel when it's clear and when it's not. You get a visceral reaction when you're in the presence of ambiguity. Yeah, you know that's a great point, and and I guess I'm thinking about masks with regard to in the early stages because I had that feeling that in the early days the guidance was, hey, yeah, go ahead and wear masks, but not in 95 masks because our healthcare workers need those, and I was like, well. It sounds like the N95 masks are better than <laughs> if, if if that's who needs them. Yeah. And so that's actually not clear. So what I think I, you need to say to me is use the inferior masks and make a, a sacrifice for the sake of public health because the healthcare workers need them. As opposed to what was unclear was like, well, so do the non-N95 masks do good things because i like i generally like to have the best thing if i'm gonna get a thing i'm sort of like all or nothing in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah well a lot of that i i give a lot of grace to the agencies and and to the media as well in the beginning days yeah a lot of grace because we didn't know i mean we just didn't understand how much the virus could penetrate different kinds of masks and all of these different things that took, you know, a lot of experience and a lot of research of that experience in order to figure that all out. So I, I will give a big pass in the very beginning. But I also think that we could have been a lot more honest about the don't remember in the very beginning, it was you don't have to wear a mask at all. Mm-hmm. And it was because they were worried about healthcare workers, you know, having access to enough supply for them to be able to not be in harm's way. And so it, it just, the whole thing, and, and I, again, I'll give a lot of grace because we were all in panic mode. The agencies, probably the most panic mode of anybody because they were you know, responsible for what happens and what the communication is and everything. But it's just, it was really, it continues to be an incredible lesson in clarity versus ambiguity. And so Karen, I love that notion of, of there's a feeling there and so and I think that I can brush it away too fast in terms of, oh, it doesn't quite seem to make sense, but that's what the experts say. So, okay. you know, I, I don't know if that's what it were, if I were to kind of put words to the feelings. Yeah, don't brush it away. I, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book, Clarity First, is that you have a right to receive clear information and you have an obligation to deliver clear information. And, it, and delivering clear information is such a gift because there are so many people that are afraid to deliver a clear message for various reasons. And we can talk about some of those, but it's being brave and and being clear. You don't have to be harsh and clear. You can be frank and candid and it'd be very loving actually. And so it's, but being the recipient of information, absolutely you have a right 
to have clear information and the obligation to ask for clarity when you don't get it. Let's talk about courage and communicating clearly. Reminds me of consulting days and, and the headlines that go on slides because the best practice that I've has been drilled into my head <laughs> you know, from, from consulting is that we have an, a headline on the slide that conveys the, the key message takeaway, such as sales have fallen dramatically since 2012. All right, for example, if, as opposed to simply sales over time. And it, it does take some courage because... And I think the reason, and I've been accused in, in my, <laughs> by clients of, of using sensational headlines. It's like, oh, okay, is it, are these sensational? I think it just tells you what it, the truth. what's going on here. Yeah. It, they might be more sensational compared to sales over time, which isn't very instructive. Is that, well, the director of sales who started the job <laughs> in that year is in the room <laughs> and he or she could be super offended to like that you're, you're putting a bright spot on oh, see, uh, things went bad right around when this guy was there, even though you didn't say that. But I think it does take some courage to be clear because people's feelings can get hurt. So help us help us sort through that a little bit in terms of, in some ways, you don't want to be have like the, the pure, naive clarity of a child who just <laughs> says anything like, you're fat, like, don't do that. But Help us out, Karen. How do we get yeah. clear, but not be too offensive Yeah, and do this dance? <laughs> so I think the key is to always communicate with love as the intention and not harm. And when you kind of go from a place of love and, you know, I know it's funny to be talking about jobs and work and love, but it really is, you know, there's two pure human emotions, love and fear. And when you have love as the intent of conversation, then you can be clear and not harsh or harmful or mean, or mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's easier when it's done with love. Now, tough love is a great phrase and tough love can be a little hard to swallow, but if you deliver it in the right way, you know that you care about the person and you're delivering the information out of concern and, and caring and loving for the, for that person. And it can be a person at work. I mean, it's not, this love thing isn't just outside of work. And that helps a lot. And I also think that when it comes to you know team-based meetings and activities and improvement activities and things like that, you have to kind of go into those with some ground rules about what the expectation is that the conversation should be like. And so the expectation should be, ideally, that there's a safe environment to speak the truth and that the, the truth is founded and grounded in facts and that it is what it is, and it's not going to be blame-oriented. I think that's where we get ourselves Mm -hmm. into really big trouble, is this blaming and finger-pointing. You know, it's when you're trying to solve problems, which business is 90% solving problems, you have to to not have a fear-based or a a culture and an environment that's going to evoke fear because people are being blamed. So that helps a lot right there. Yeah, and I think maybe the, the other side of the coin may be credit. It's like, we need the credit. Like if you view, um, was it Abraham Lincoln talk about victory has a thousand fathers, but failure is a lonely orphan or stuff like oh, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really nice quote. Yeah. In terms of if everyone wants to claim credit for the thing that's going well and everyone wants to divest blame or involvement or association with the thing that, that didn't go so well. So I guess I was just talking with a buddy who, who mentioned like some groups like 
refuse to let someone mention a, a victory in another group's newsletter because like they're always getting the credit for the things and we need to get credit for the things. And I don't know their whole story, but that, that didn't sound... That's a toxic culture right there. That didn't sound like the best place to be <laughs> from that no, little snippet. That's a toxic culture. Yeah, you know, I think that the more we can just get unemotional about performance and projects that either work really well or don't work so well. And I love actually going into clients where they're dealing with some perceived negative situations where something was quote a failure unquote and get them to see it through it, a learning lens. You know, the, the, the fact that something didn't work out as well as you would like, that's the rich fodder for, well, why not? You know, what happened and what can we not repeat the next time and what should we do more of and to increase our chances of success and really reflecting on why something didn't work out so well is important, but yet we kind of rush, rush, rush to the next thing and don't take time to really learn from our failures. And I mean, it's, it sounds overwrought to say, oh, you know, we, we learn from our failures, but you really do. It's not, it's not just a saying. You really do. You can, if you listen and reflect, learn a lot from failure. Mm-hmm. All right. Also, there are some emotional foundational things that kind of need to be present in order for clarity to even have a a prayer <laughs> of being around. A fighting chance, exactly, a fighting chance. So then let's say we do have that, or at least we have enough of that. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the the underpinnings of, of clarity in terms of, I, I love in our last chat, we talked about some of those key questions mm-hmm. that you can use of others to get clarification, like why, what if, why not, how could we, what would have to be true if, as well as questions we can ask ourselves to determine, hey, Am I clear? Is what I'm saying going to kind of make sense and feel clear? And you also have questions about questions. So Karen, I just want to talk about questions. Mm. Lay it on us. Let's do. Let's do. If we're trying to get clear, what are the fundamental questions we should be asking ourselves and others? Well, so let's talk about email communication, phone calls, picking up the phone and walking into a meeting or or chatting or texting. One of the most important things to do is say, what is my intent? Why am I communicating with this person or this team or this, this organization or whoever it is? What do I want to achieve? Do I, and, and I think also being very, very precise on what are you asking for? Are you, are you just sharing information just so they know? Are you sharing information because you want a decision? Are you sharing information because you want someone's opinion? Are you sharing information because you want someone to take action? If you can just be more precise on what you're seeking to achieve, it makes it a lot easier to be clear. And I, I get emails, and actually, I even have you know a couple people on on our team that. I, it has, I have to work so hard to understand what they're actually wanting to achieve in the email. And it's like, oh, 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 oh. it's like, wait, wait, do you want me to make a decision? Do you want me to take action? Do you want me to, yeah. opinion? you know, what, what do you want? So I long ago, actually one of my direct reports actually taught me early in my career, how to put my intent the very first sentence of an email and then give the backstory and all the facts and all the details that are needed, just the essential facts that are needed. So if you just think about, I'd love to get your opinion on blah, 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 blah. I would love for you to help me with blah, 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 blah. Do you have time? Like if you just are clear up front on what you want and then give any of the details that are necessary, it people love it because it's, they don't have to work. 
to understand mm-hmm. what it is you're asking for. And this is true of love relationships too. This is not mm-hmm. just work. <laughs> you know, this is family, friends, partners. It really is amazing how when you're clear about what you're seeking to achieve, how much easier the communication can go. Yeah, I love that. And it's just like that. It could be one sentence at the top of the email. I love your feedback. I love your decision. It's so funny. I'm thinking now about the email I get the most of in, in my life these days is is pitches to appear on the podcast. So I think it's funny. And, and now I just know what, what people are going for. But I think it's funny how sometimes the emails will just sort of go into details like Karen Martin is the president of the global consultant. Is like it's like, okay, Karen is this. Karen is so great. It's like, okay, well, well good for Karen, but like <laughs> what do you want from me? Well, well, now I know by shortcut. But I think that's that's sort of funny. Some marketing guru, I don't remember who it was. He said that, that's one of like the uh, the cardinal sins of whether it's an about page or an email or a piece of marketing. It's about me, 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 us, us, us. Mm. It's sort of like, well, well, no one cares. I mean, often about sort of maybe like the history or the founding of something, but as so much as the the benefit that it provides me and or what you need or want from me. Because because sometimes, it, I guess that's my test is I would say, if this just feels like a press release, then I almost feel paralyzed. Mm. Not to be overdramatic here. Right. <laughs> it was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> it's like I'm reading a press release as opposed to, oh, did you want to buy our product or service? Did you want to interview this person? Did you want to explore this idea as an initiative for us You know, in the next year? It's like, I need a little something. And it's, I think sometimes when you just assume that the person on the receiving end just, just knows, mm-hmm. like, it's sort of like if, if I get forwarded something and there's nothing at the top of it for me, mm-hmm. that's the trickiest for me is like, okay, <laughs> now what? <laughs> yeah. And I think it helps a lot to think about life in general as a supplier customer relationship. You know, it's not just in business that we should be thinking about these things. So the supplier is the person who's communicating and the customer is the recipient of that information. And I have a you know rule of thumb. I say, know thy customer, you know, and know what your customer's level of understanding is about the topic you're communicating. Know what their motivation is, know what their uh, what's going to grab them versus turn them off. You have to think a little bit. We, we are not all cut from the same cloth. We all have different learning needs, learning styles, communication needs, absorption needs. And so you have to, you know, not just brush everyone with the same brush. You have to think about how do I properly convey to these folks, whatever it is I want to share or or ask for. Mm -hmm. You mentioned questions behind questions. And so that we turn it around now. So that's when you're communicating with others. Now it's when people are communicating with you. And a lot of times it's so fascinating if you start really paying attention to this. If someone asks you a question, sometimes it's very, very easy to understand why they're asking you, like, what time do you have to leave the meeting? It's, you know, it's very concrete, tangible, and, it's, and they're asking for just a straight answer. But sometimes people will ask questions that the question actually isn't what they're asking. If there's a question behind the question, mm-hmm. but out of fear, you're not getting the right question. And so if you say, if you pause, don't be so obligated to answer the question and say, hmm, that's interesting. I'm curious 
why are you asking that question? And you have to ask it in a really gentle way. You can't go, why are you asking that question? You know, you have to say, I'm just curious why you're asking that question. Then you almost always will get the real question that they're asking. And it's, it's fascinating to see how if you would have just started talking and answering the question, the first question, you would not have provided what they were actually asking. And they don't, sometimes, you know, people that are communicating, they aren't even aware that they're not being as truthful and forthright as they should be so that you can answer more clearly you know, what they're asking for because it's habitual. And so you can help someone out of that habit of being afraid or sugarcoating or just being kind of vague. You can help them by saying, I don't understand or, or tell me more about that. What's behind that question? Two examples leap to mind here. And I want to hear some more from you, Karen. One, it might've been from Gottman. So we talked about romantic relationships as well here in terms of if a uh, I think a wife asks her husband, oh, are you cold? Which he's really thinking is, I'd like to have some intimate time in bed <laughs> and to, to cozy up and uh, warm that way. And But she's maybe a little bit timid in terms of he doesn't want to potentially feel rejection. So they say, oh, are you feeling cold? And then the husband, clueless to the intention behind the question, just like, Nope. <laughs> it didn't even occur to him that that was kind of what we were discussing here. And then I, I had a, a buddy, I was, I think I was showing him the game Angry Birds and this just cracked me up. He said to me, oh, and uh, people find this engaging, <laughs> which I clearly intuited meant he thought, wow, that looks dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so surprised that there's like a lot of people who do this and like for a long time. Wow. They're surprised. So maybe you could give us some examples more in a, in a workplace context. What are some times people are asking questions that aren't really what they're getting after? Well, I work in the space of improvement a lot. And so a lot of times people will ask questions about why the improvement is important or what you know, what's going to likely be the outcome when they're really saying, I'm very concerned. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I feel like I'm going to lose power. So, you know, so the big threats in business are losing your job, losing power, losing budget. If you're at a, a budget level, mm -hmm. losing face, having people not respect you, you know, it, they're all kind of human, but they're a little more financially tied in business because of a paycheck. And so when they're, when they're asking a lot about, you know, well, why this and why that? And when it comes to, you know, an improvement or an idea, they're actually most, most of the time they're asking, you know, what guarantee can you give me that you're not going to make my work much more difficult or I'm going to lose my job. And so if you ask what's behind the question, you often start, it starts coming out a little bit more. The other thing that can happen is, so you you mentioned the questions. Let me go here because I think it was tied to this. You asked, you said like, what would have to be true if, uh, why, why not, what if, all those things. Mm -hmm. The what I've learned actually since you and I talked, I think this is one learning I had, is that the question why I already knew it could be laced with accusation and blame and and harshness, but I've learned even more how laced it is. Mm. And so the thing that's easier on the ear. And on the heart and the soul is a question that begins with what, because you can turn all questions into why. So like, why is he doing that? It sounds very accusatory, but the question could be turned around into, 
what conditions created the need to do that? Or what, what outcome is he trying to achieve, you know, doing that or, or something like that? It just has a, a little softer feel to it. What and how questions yeah. What made you prefer that option? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you actually get people to, you know, to think deeply when you ask what and how questions. Why are also good thinking questions? So there's binary questions that are answered with yes, no. And those begin with should, could, do. You know, so they're all questions that are answered yes or no. The mm-hmm. ones that are Socratic in nature, meaning that they require you to, you know, answer a little more deeply and think a little more deeply are the ones what, why, and how are the big ones. And then the ones that are kind of in the middle are the who, where, they're kind of a little more binary because they're easy to answer and concrete. The what, how, and why questions require thought. But of those three, I always place why as the last, kind of like the last place I go to. If I can't get the question answered better with what and how, I'll go to why. But Mm -hmm. I try really hard to stick with what and how. Okay. Non-threatening, much more non-threatening. Beautiful. Well, so that's that's a great notion associated about what's behind the question is it's often something, I don't mean this in in a necessarily bad way, but it's kind of, it's it's sort of self-serving. And and that's kind of why they they don't just nakedly say it like, so is this going to reduce my power? (laughs) You know, it kind of makes you seem like, oh, okay, we see what you're into. Mm -hmm. And, but nonetheless, you you, you care and you want to know. So you're, right. you're, you're asking. So then I'm curious as we play out this conversation, how do you answer that? Well, in, in terms of well, one, I guess you ask what's behind the question and they may or may not sort of directly say, I'm worried this will reduce my power. I'm guessing they likely won't. Well, you'll get closer to that by asking the question behind the question, what the question is behind the question. Okay. For sure. I, gotcha. So they might say, you know, oh, well, you know, we just worked on this budget. And so we're just curious about the budgetary implications. It's like, okay, budgetary implications is pretty close to, are you going to take away my money? Right. And so you can go there. And then I guess with, with reassurances there, I guess maybe you answered that question as I was just concerned that that might seem too, I don't know, presumptuous or patronizing. I mean, I know you're not going to say, Hey, relax, Mike, you're going to keep your budget. <laughs> I know you're not going to say, say it quite like that. But any thoughts in terms of as that conversation progresses in terms of keeping it productive and feeling good? Well, I want to highlight something that you said just about like, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, 20 seconds ago, that was really, really good. And it you started your sentence with, I'm curious to learn, or I'm curious to, I think you said, I'm curious to learn. That is a wonderful phrase. It, it actually makes people relax a little when you ask things from a place of curiosity. And the the cousin to curiosity I talk about in Clarity First is humility. And when you say I'm curious to learn, humility is kind of implied there. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, say it just to say it when you're actually being have no interest in being curious or, you know, and you have no interest in being humble. But if you are truly asking that question, which it sounded to me like you were truly from a place of curiosity, you're going to get a lot farther because it's, you're not going in with assumptions and biases and judgment and blame. Like you're really, you really want to learn. And when you want to learn, people can relax and give you information you might never get. Mm-hmm. You know, and, then, and then, by the way, these are techniques that law enforcement and intelligence use all the time when they're trying and investigators of all sorts, when they're trying to get to the truth of a situation, 
They ask a lot of what and how questions Mm -hmm. to get people talking and relaxed so that they're more likely to reveal the truth. That's cool. Well, I'd love it. Karen, can you give us some more phrases, questions, questions about questions, magical phrases like I'm curious to learn. Let's hear some specific verbiage. That's awesome. Often. Data doesn't lie unless the data has been fraudulently (laughs) or faked, you know, so I like, I like data doesn't lie. And this is to get us away from the opinions Mm -hmm. that kind of come in at work when people say it's just, it's this, you know, and you often just need to, and it doesn't have to be big and complex data analysis, just getting some basic numbers and quantities and volumes and things like that can really help chip away at the, at the opinions and get to facts. Mm -hmm. So data doesn't lie is another one. Fuzzy words. I love the phrase fuzzy words, which I talk about actually in the outstanding organization and that clarity chapter, I talk about fuzzy words are things where they mean different things to you and me. So it's things like long, short, heavy, light, Mm -hmm. soon. Uh, it's a long time, I give this example of Starbucks. And when someone says the line's long at Starbucks, how many people is that? And if you ask a room of 20 people, you'll get a pretty good split between two to four. And then there's like the the five to seven people. And then there's like the more than seven people. And, and it's so interesting. And so those are fuzzy words you should avoid at all costs. And if someone uses them with you, you should ask for clarification. How many? How many do you mean? I mean, if it's relevant, I guess a line at Starbucks is right. If you care, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it's not all that relevant at work, but you should really start tuning in to those words that people use them all the time. These fuzzy words, and it's not necessarily because they're afraid to reveal the truth. It's a habit. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't have to commit when you're using a word that means different things to different people. Yeah, it was. I think not having to commit—that's huge. I think especially like with soon. It's like, oh, I'll get that to you soon or shortly. It's sort of like, I don't want to put myself on the hook. Right. <laughs> for... If you're talking to me, I'm going to ask you what you mean by that. <laughs> You'll have this within nine days. You know, and then, and then it's like, well, now I've, I've given up some flexibility associated with my task management. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, people have different expectations. So I think that most of the conflict in the world is because of mis misunderstood expectations. Mm -hmm. So let's think about a boss giving uh, an employee a task or a job to do or or a project or whatever. If the boss doesn't get precise with what the expectation is from a, not only a date, but also the quality of the results. And, you know, there's done, there's done, done, and there's done, done, done. And that also is fascinating. It's fascinating to see how one person's definition of what done means, this project's done, is not at all what another person's idea of done is. And so you got you got to ask for clarity and on our project plans we actually have a column it says like what is done. <laughs> and done to some people is they've actually let's say they're making an improvement. They've made an improvement. Done to someone else is they've made an improvement and people have been trained. Done to someone else is they've made an improvement, people have been trained and it's now being managed and monitored. There's a measurement. And so you have to get really clear. And in construct, I learned this actually from construction guys. And they were like, oh, you know, this is decades ago. And they're like, oh, you know, well, you know, there's done, there's done, done, there's done, done, done in construction. And then of course I learned that that's that's true in every aspect of work. You know, all industries, all areas within an organization have that same fuzziness that unless you ask for clarification, 
two people can expect very different things. Yeah. Well, and that notion of the multiple duns kind of gets me thinking with regard to if, uh, let's, oh, let's just say there's a meeting. Let's say I ask you for something, Karen, and we both know that the reason I'm asking you for this is because I've got a meeting coming up on February 3rd, whatever, with somebody. And so, so you understand that to be a deadline. Oh, I, I'll need to get this to Pete before February 3rd. <laughs> I know. <where> <laughs> and so like, if we haven't discussed it, like most likely I'm expecting you will get this to me well in advance of February 3rd <laughs> so that I can review it and, or potentially share it with my boss and boss's boss and boss's boss's boss, right, maybe right. It, it, so that it's perfectly polished and done, done, done uh, for, for February 3rd. And so, yeah. I think that's intriguing that I guess there's, there's deadlines and then there's dead, dead, dead <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's, it is true. There's, there's a lot of clarification that needs to happen. And even the project itself, I see so many people at lower levels in organizations taking on requests from their bosses that they're not clear what the request actually is, but they don't feel comfortable asking for clarification. And I'm like, no, you, you, you have to feel comfortable asking for clarification. And if your boss is someone who's not willing to give clarification, you have to have a conversation with that person about why you're asking for clarification. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes someone can feel threatened if you're asking for clarification and you have to help them understand that you actually want to serve them. Yeah. You actually want to do well. You want to give them what they're looking for. You want to have them look like a superstar in their boss's eyes or whatever it is that you're do you're not doing it out of malice or threatening, assuming you're not. Mm. So I think it's a really important thing for everyone from the front lines all the way up the ranks to really get good at is not taking on a project that they go, I'm not quite sure exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and what the outcome, like, what's the outcome? Mm-hmm. What, what are we looking for? What, what does good look like? That's another great question. What does good look like? Yeah, I'm loving this. So what is done? What does good look like? When is soon? <laughs> yeah, when is- Keep them coming, Karen. <laughs> what are some other favorite questions? Well, I say, what do you mean by that a lot? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? That's a good clarification question. Yeah. And that's almost like the question behind the question. But this, in this case, the person probably has made a statement. And, and I was saying, what, what do you mean by that? And sometimes I'll say, what do you mean what I mean? I was like, well, don't tell me, tell me more. And that's another yeah. thing. I'll say, tell me more. Tell me more. And it's not really a question, but tell me more is also a good, a good way to get people to reveal a little more so you can be, you become more clear what they're actually communicating. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Well, Karen, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some more of your favorite things. Mm, I just want everyone to get infected with the, the zest for clarity and expect it, give it. It's just so even, you know, people say, well, sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah, sometimes the truth does hurt, but at least you know what you're dealing with. I just don't think that if, if you don't know what's going on, how do you possibly make any positive, you know, a positive step in the right direction? Even if it's the worst possible news you could ever get, then you know what you're dealing with and you can deal with it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, you really don't, you really don't know what to, which way to go. So go for it. Everyone who's listening, go for it. All right. Thank you. And now could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? This is going to sound funny. It's a, it's actually in, in an advertising tagline. I really love the Nike, just do it. 
Yeah. I, I, it's not really a quote per se, but I just think that we just live in a fear-based bubble too much. And I love just do it. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? My favorite research in decades has been the one that uncovered the fact that there's no such thing as multitasking. And it was a study uh, Professor David Meyer at University of Michigan did. He studied engineers and he was studying how much uh, time they take during the day task switching from one one kind of work to another kind of work and how much productivity that robbed them of and how much stress it added and how much at risk a quality problem because of this juggling. So, you know, when I see, I see job, not as much anymore, thankfully, but I used to see a lot job postings that would say, must be comfortable with ambiguity and must be able to multitask. Well, first of all, we don't want people to be comfortable with ambiguity. No, 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 no. We want people who are truth tellers and truth seekers. And we also don't want people that are able to quote multitask because it's absolutely impossible to do two cognitive activities at the same time. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And so that research was really compelling. And when I, you know, work with clients on prioritization, you know, the key is to say not yet to those things that can wait, but to do fewer things at once. And you'll get so much more done in the same unit of time. If you do fewer things at once, complete them, then move on and complete them, then move on. I mean, you can get triple the output by doing fewer things at once and not juggling. Okay. And a favorite book? My favorite fiction book is uh, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. And I did my first book report on that. And I just love that book. There's so much in that book. My favorite business book, well, besides my own, I would say is Out of the Crisis by Deming. It's an old book. It's a thick book, but it's really powerful about the ways businesses operate and keep themselves in crisis mode and how to break. There's different principles that you operate. And lean management is actually heavily based on a lot of Deming's work. Mm-hmm. So it's I love that book, Out of the Crisis. All right. And a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job. Well... I love value stream mapping, which is uh, not for everyone. It's it's a more strategic tool said be for you know, directors and above in an organization. For directors and below, I would say I think one of the most important skills is to get really, really good at email management. I'm a big believer in zero inbox. I never get to true zero, but I get to, you know, teens and it's so much easier to do that than to have these hundreds or thousands of emails in your inbox, robbing you of, I call that existential inventory. You know, it robs you of, you know, the psychic energy you need to be productive. So get control of those inboxes. Okay. Is there a key nugget you share that connects, resonates with folks that quote back to you often? It's not a quote, but when I work with companies on clarity, I will often hear people in the hallway, in the cafeterias or whatever, go, curse you, Karen Martin. (gasps) And I'll say, why? Because I can't, handle not having clarity anymore and I said, mission accomplished <laughs> but you know it is it is funny how many people go oh my gosh i had no idea how much ambiguity i allowed in my life and i contributed to until i met you and read my or read the book or whatever it might be so it's kind of a curse you <laughs> thing all right and if folks want to learn more get in touch where would you point them 
Uh, we've got two websites, TKMG. So I used to be the Karen Martin group, but we shortened it to, so I have a whole team now. So it's TKMG.com. And then we have an online learning academy, which is new since you and I last talked. And that's TKMGacademy.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think it's just starting tomorrow. Listen, 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 and feel what you're feeling and start paying attention to what when things are clear, when they're not clear. Listen to how you're communicating, reread your emails, like just start get becoming aware. Like just take that first step. You don't have to do anything yet. Just start becoming aware of the degree of ambiguity and, and or the degree of clarity that is around you and that you're contributing to. Mm-hmm. Just become aware and that alone can start moving mountains. Okay, beautiful. Karen, this has been a treat once again. I wish you much clarity and fun in your adventures. Thank you, Pete. It was really nice to talk with you again. I, you know, I just, I love your questions. So thank you. I really loved Karen's take about the fuzzy words. What is a lot and what is soon? <laughs> we could have wildly different interpretations of that. So let's just put a number on it, put a date on it. And we feel all the more clear and connected and on the same page. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we reference are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP748. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.